I found another very popular statement I just heard them saying, it's because of the Christ. I mean, it's because of the cross of Jesus that I live. Amen. Amen. Zach, I'm moving this before I break this, okay? All right. So I'm going to put it right here. Choir, you remind me that you're back here, okay? Because I am so glad that you're here. And I do want to preach to the choir some, right? That's right. So if you would take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, we're, as I mentioned Wednesday when we were together, I sort of gave you your homework of looking at Luke chapter 24. And while we're going to stand and read a few verses here in just a moment, we're going to walk through fairly quickly two or three events that happened in Luke chapter 24. If you're grabbing that pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1,218. You'll find a pew Bible there in front of you. And if you came in today without your Bible and you don't have a Bible, then that pew Bible right there, if you'll take it, turn to page 1218, use it today, write your name in the front of it, take it with you and be in it every day this week. We'll call that your Bible. And if all the Bibles disappear today, we'll get some more, okay? It's important. We're going to find that the Word of God is an indispensable tool in the life that Christ wants us to have. Luke chapter 24. Last week, before I get started in Luke, while you're still looking, man, you may have been impacted by this. It happened, and most people don't know, but I'm going to go ahead and just put it out there. Last week... The men's restroom door upstairs broke. Some of you may have been impacted. I was exiting Sunday school, and I was on my way from the third floor down, and I was coming across, and, and I noticed a, a little boy, second grader, trying to get into the restroom right here on the second floor at the top of the stairs, and, and he couldn't. Well, of course, I had to help. And I banged on it, and I banged on it, and I couldn't get it open. And then I said, well, this is going to take some superhero work. So I really banged on it and eventually got it to open. And he went in, and I grabbed a little uh, block of wood that we keep there, and, and I wedged it because I didn't want it to shut again because I was afraid if it was locked on the way in, it might not be able to get out. And so I put a little wedge of wood there, and I went on about my way to get in my office to get ready to be in here. And I was coming back through on my way to the sanctuary, and Lo and behold, somebody's trying to get in the bathroom again. That little piece of wood hadn't done it. The door had blocked, had locked them out. And I hear stuff going on on the inside, and I'm going, oh, my goodness, not only is somebody trying to get in, but somebody's trying to get out. So I went straight to superhero mode, and I banged on it and banged on it, and finally we got it pried open. And there was an adult man standing there who had wondered what in the world was going on. The little boy I thought was stuck in there wasn't in there, or he had grown up to be a man while I was gone. <laughs> and this man was just drying his hands, and he looked at me startled as I came superhero busting through the door. And I said, well, you got to watch it. That door won't let you out. And he said, well, it might. So we shut it. And it's easy as you please on the inside. That door was broken on only one side. You couldn't, the handle couldn't work to let you in, but the handle on the inside would absolutely work to let you out. Now, we've got that fixed. Kenny, maybe we should check, see if anybody's stuck in that bathroom. <laughs> but we got that fixed. But it made me think this week about how there are two sides to about everything. 
Just like that door, one side worked and one side didn't. And I started thinking about how we have coins that are two-sided, heads or tails, how we have arguments that are two-sided, right and wrong, how when things are team games, we have winners and losers. And it's so funny you talk about that. Some of your kids, they play t-ball or they play low-level soccer where they don't keep score. And every time a parent, I'll say, yeah, we play, but they don't keep score. I said, yeah, but you know who won, right? (laughs) I was that parent. I always knew what the score was, even when you weren't supposed to keep score. But we know that events like that have winners and losers. Always attached together, always unable to be separated, two sides to everything. So I just started looking at that this week, and that was my mindset going into studying Scripture. I ask you to stand with me from that very strange opening, and let's read Luke chapter 24. I want to read the first 12 verses together. Luke chapter 24, picking up in verse 1, says this, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them, came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them, seemed to the apostles, like idle tales, and they did not believe them. And Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling at himself what had happened. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. As I said, we're going to take a little bit of a walking tour through the 24th chapter of Luke on this Easter Sunday morning. Now, of course, this passage that we've just read is one of the greatest passages in scripture. You see, it's the third day after Jesus had been crucified. It had been three days since Jesus had been killed. Three days after Jesus had been buried. Three days since the stone rolled to close the tomb. And it wasn't until after I finished my sermon as I was rereading the scripture that I realized, you know, that stone had two sides. It had the outside that looked like that there was a dead man in there And it had the inside where the Son of God was going to be resurrected not many hours afterwards. Another two-sided thing for us to think about. Verse 2 tells us that that stone, that these women come to uh, embalm the body of Jesus to take care of him for his permanent burial, tells us that they come there and they find the stone rolled away. Now, I mentioned to you, Scripture says that they had come early to prepare the body. Do you know what that means? That means that they came to that tomb expecting the stone to still be in the doorway 
and that person in it to still be dead. You know, and a lot of people in this world, they think that Jesus died. You know, that's a historical fact that people are not going to be able to withstand upon historical review and evidence, the fact that Jesus was alive and died, that is indisputable. But many people just leave him in the tomb. And they got here because they thought he was going to be in the tomb, and the stone was rolled away. Verse 3 says that they went in the tomb, and it was empty. No Jesus. Verse 4 says that they were perplexed. Now, I think perplexed is probably a very reasonable feeling for them to have given their expectations, given their beliefs, given what they're finding is not something that just happens every single day. Perplexed. Perhaps you're perplexed. You're hearing about this Jesus who died, but we are now celebrating he's alive, and if you don't know Jesus and if you've not met him as your Savior, you're perplexed going, I need to know more. Well, you're in the right place. And I want you to know more, whether it is today or in the days ahead, whether you're in this room, on the phone, on YouTube, on Facebook, in the choir, in the balcony, on the floor. If you want to know more about Jesus, you're in the right place. And if today is the day that you don't have time to find out more about Jesus, I pray that the Lord keeps that burden on you and that you will reach back out to us because we want you to know Jesus and be perplexed no longer. Verse 4 says that there were two men, they were in shining garments. These are angels of God. And these angels, they speak first, verse 5 says, and they ask them a question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Then they shared a great truth, a great message, a fantastic message, a life-changing message. Verse 6 of Luke chapter 24 says, he is not here and they don't stop there. He is not here, comma, because, I added that word, but that's what, it's, that's what it really should be right there, because he's risen. He's not gone. He's not been stolen. He's not missing. He is alive, they tell these women who expected to see him dead behind a stone rolled in front of a tomb. But this did not sink in immediately with these women. And the angels then went on to remind them more. They'd already told them the truth. He's not here. He is risen. But it didn't settle in for them. And he said, remember how he spoke to you? Remember when he said, and you can see the scripture here, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. The angels are saying, remember, Jesus told you absolutely clearly what was going to happen. You know, those words in my Bible are in red. Luke chapter 24, verse 7, those words are in red in my Bible, which means they are attributed to Jesus. The angels are quoting what Jesus had said to them before this day ever occurred. And verse 8, some important words right here. And they remembered his words. Hold on to that. They came seeking to embalm a dead body, found a tomb with the stone rolled away. 
we're perplexed. We're reminded from angels that he's not here, but he's alive. Still hadn't settled in. He said, remember what he told you? And then scripture says in verse 8, and they remembered. And they remembered. And when they remembered, then they understood. And when they understood, scripture says, they believed. And then they left, and then they went to tell the others. And then the others did not believe them. Then Peter ran to the tomb, marveling. Can I tell you what marveling is not? Marveling is not believing. Okay, we can say marveling is a lot of things, but we don't want to ever allow one of the definitions to the word marvel to be believe. It's just not there. So nobody believes it yet except the women who have been reminded by the angels about the words that Jesus taught them. Best thing to remember so far, if you're trying to say, I got to hold on to something from what he said in the last few minutes, is that it was the reminder of the words of Jesus, his teaching and his purpose it was this reminder that caused the women to believe. Not a stone rolled away, not an empty tomb, not an angel, but the words of Jesus. You know, John 1 says that Jesus was the word. It caused them to remember. But it gets even better. You see, it's at this point in my study and that I'm remembering two sides to everything, and, and I'm reading Scripture, and we've got through this, and it gets even better. So I begin to look at Luke chapter 24, and I start going, well, what else has, does Jesus say in Luke chapter 24? Because I'm now seeing that the women believed not because of an empty tomb, not because of a stone rolled away, not because of angels, but because they heard and remembered the words that Jesus told them. I started going, wow. Whatever Jesus must say coming forward are going to be some pretty powerful things. So hopefully you still got your Bible open. We're going to walk through this just a little bit. Talking about what Jesus said in the book of Luke in chapter 24 post-resurrection. Now, we're not going to read, but I want to draw your attention to Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. Now, I want to encourage you, read this later because I know that the Holy Spirit of God is going to want to challenge you and reveal more and teach you more as you study this later today. But let me summarize in verses 13 to 35. Two men were walking away from Jerusalem toward a town called Emmaus. Emmaus is about a seven-mile journey. Scripture tells us that says that they were talking about the events of the past few days, and then all of a sudden, Jesus joined them. Now, I don't know if he caught up with them or waited on them to get someplace. I'm not sure. But we are told that Jesus joins them, and Scripture tells us that they do not know that it is Jesus because their eyes were restrained. That's what Scripture says. You can see it right there. You know, that can happen to us. You see, their belief or their lack of it has clouded their ability to see and understand clearly. 
And that can happen to us, you know, because we each tend to see everything we see through the perspective of our belief structure, our expectations. That's how we view things. That doesn't make us wrong. That makes us naturally geared that way. And so it's important that we re-experience or learn some things. And so Jesus came to them and he interjected theirself into their conversation. The scripture said they're walking down the road talking about the events of the day. And Jesus comes up and he says, what are you talking about that makes you sad? That's nearly a quote from this scripture, but you can go and, and, and see that. You see, Jesus saw all of this. He saw them walking. He heard them talking. He knew what they were talking about. And he could tell by their demeanor that it was making them sad. And these men tell Jesus, not knowing it was Jesus, all about Jesus of Nazareth, saying that he was mighty indeed in word before God and that how Jesus had been crucified. And he gave the reason why they were sad. Verse 21 says, but we were hoping it was he who would redeem Israel. We were hoping and it didn't turn out that way. And then we heard this morning that they could not find the body and that some angels had said that he was alive. Church, these men do not yet believe that Jesus is alive. Just think about this. If they believed that Jesus was alive, the last place they would be going is away from Jerusalem. They would be going to be with Jesus and the other believers, and they would be having a spiritual party that eternity has yet gotten over. But they don't believe. They're walking away. They're talking about we had hoped this was going to be different. And then Jesus speaks. And in verses 25 and 26, he said, these are the things that had to happen in order to bring about the glory of God. And he tells them that they're a little bit slow on the uptake. You can read that. And in verse 27, it says, And beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He just starts talking. And let me tell you, I could have, we, I, I found another video. It's been a weekend of videos. We're not done yet, just, just so you know. But it's been a weekend of videos. I found another one that was sent to me. And uh, talking about how Jesus is described in every book of the Bible. Spend time looking at it. So when Jesus started talking about Scripture, he wasn't finding three Scriptures to say, hey, that's me. Jesus just opened up the Old Testament and told them all about him. And then Scripture says that it got dark. They got to Emmaus. And Jesus had, was going to move on, but they asked him to stay. And he did. And in verse 30, one of these crazy things happened. The guest becomes the host. If you're reading that Scripture, you're going to find out that Jesus sat at the table and broke the bread. Now, that final memory, based on all that they had heard from Scripture and all that Jesus had taught them and all of these things, Seeing Jesus break the bread was more than they could take, and all of a sudden, they believed. They remembered, and they believed. And their eyes were opened, verse 31 says, 
So the words of Jesus, both his teaching and his use of Scripture, brought them to the point of believing. They too remembered his words, and it changed them into belief. And it gets even better. Scripture says that Jesus vanishes in that moment. And these two men decide in that exact moment to go straight back to Jerusalem because that's where people who are believing would have been all together. And they go back to Jerusalem, and then they get there. Verse 34 says that upon arrival, they say to the apostles, the Lord is arisen indeed. You see, these men now believed because of the words of Jesus. And it gets better. Verse 36, Jesus appears in that moment in the midst of all of the group of people that had been following Jesus. And if you read this scripture later, and I want to encourage you to do that, you'll find that when this happens, verse 37, they're terrified. Verse 37, they're frightened. Verse 38, they're troubled. Verse 38, they doubted. And verse 41, they did not yet believe. They were perplexed. Jesus asked for and then ate food, proving that he is not only alive, but he is a real body. You see, God, when he gave Jesus to this world, he was all man. He knows where you are, knows what you're going through, and he was all God. And by eating that, he's saying, listen, this is not some kind of ghost. This is real. And then Jesus speaks. I hope you have Luke 24 open because I just want to read... Starting in verse 44. Luke 24, starting in verse 44, it says this, Then he, that's Jesus, said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures, and then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I will send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endowed with the power from on high. Jesus said in verse 44, These are the words I spoke to you. These are the words concerning me. This was what was written in Scripture. And we know if you read verses 50 to 53 that they, by their actions, believed. Again, we're reminded that they believed not because of somebody else's memory, not because a stone was rolled away, not because of angels, not because of being told he's risen, not because of, because of an encounter of two men on the road to Emmaus, but it says that they came to believe because of the words of Jesus. They remembered his words. You know, that's how everybody is going to come to know Jesus. Jesus. By hearing and remembering his words through belief in his words. See, that should bring you great hope today. Because you too, if you know Jesus as your Savior right now, you too 
came to faith, not because of what other people experienced, but because of you coming in touch with the words of Jesus. That's how you came to know him. So that should give you great hope. But if today you're sitting here and you're going, I've not yet come to know Jesus. I'm here because it's Easter and I told my mama I'd be here. Or my neighbor invited me and I finally just decided to give in so they quit inviting me. Wherever your neighbor is, I love them for inviting you. But if you sit here today and you do not yet to know Jesus in a real personal life-changing way, let me tell you, be in the Word. The words of Jesus will change your life. The words of God will change your life. The Holy Spirit will draw you through these words to come to an understanding and then a belief of who Jesus is. Church, we serve a risen Savior. And I know that seems too good to be true. But as we, First Baptist Church, continue to focus on the Word of God, continue to study the Word of God, to allow the Word of God to be what leads and guides and direct our lives, we will come into violent collision with who Jesus is. And then you'll have a choice to make. What are you going to do when you're facing belief? When we allow the Word of God, the revelation of God about the Son of God to be given to us and helped us understood because of the Spirit of God, the natural outcome will be belief in the only Son of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I got to that point, and I'm going... That's a wrap. That's good. And you're going, I hope you listen to that thought. And I didn't, because there's one greater thought that Jesus said that we have to just touch on for just a moment. I hope you have your scripture open again. Look at verse 46 and 47. I just want to read those again. We just read them, but I want to read them again. These are what Jesus said. He said, then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. I want to point out, do you notice in verse 47, I saw a coin, I saw a bathroom door, I saw an argument, I saw a team event. What I saw was two sides. To the same thing. And you're going, I saw a lot of you look right there going, I didn't see that. But let me point out to you, look at verse 47. Jesus said, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached. Jesus just said, there's two things that you need to get. Two things that if we're not careful, we'll miss. Jesus linked in that statement Repentance and remission of sins together. Two sides of salvation. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because the Spirit of God would not let me because so many times, if we're not careful, we'll take one side. But it won't work. You'll be able to get in the bathroom, but you won't be able to get out. You guys get the message, right? Jesus said there's two things, there's two sides to this salvation. 
So let's talk about them for just a moment. Remission of sins, another easy word for that is forgiveness. We all want that. We all want forgiveness. And through Jesus, we can be forgiven. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price, the pardon for all sin. But when you come to know him in a personal way, then that payment covers your sin, all of your sin. Past, present, future, the blood of Jesus is enough to provide forgiveness for the sins of the world. It's not automatic. We've been teaching that for a long, long time around here. It takes faith. And Jesus said, I want you to preach forgiveness. But he went ahead and said, but I want you to preach for repentance. Repentance is a turning of our lives from sin and toward Jesus as Lord. It's a 180-degree turn. Is I'm no longer living for Jeff. I'm going to live for Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you can have remission of sins and forgiveness and repentance, but you got to have them both. It's the same side. It's two sides to the same salvation. So let me just say that a little bit better. A life saved by Jesus will have both of these characteristics. And I believe that it is not possible to be saved without both remission and repentance. Jesus put that two side together right there. He put the remission and the repentance together. Jesus has made both remission of sins, forgiveness, and repentance possible through his work on the cross and the resurrection. Because Jesus lives, we can have life. And a transformed life will have both forgiveness and repentance. Now, Acts 5.31 said the same thing. It says, Him, Jesus, God has exalted to His right hand to be Prince and Savior, to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. Both sides of this coin were taken care of at the cross, at Calvary, and through the resurrection. One is not your responsibility while the other is Jesus's. Scripture teaches that Jesus will give you both remission and repentance. And you're going, Jeff, I'm not quite there with you. Well, they're both gifts. We just said they're going to think about it this. Until you know that you can be forgiven, you will never repent. Think about that for a second. Let it soak in. You will never turn from your sin and yield your life to Christ if you do not believe that you can be forgiven. But unless you repent and turn from your sins, you cannot be forgiven. It makes total sense if you'll just think about it just a little bit. It's two sides to the same coin. Let me say it a different way. To believe that you can be forgiven of sin, but to continue to live in that sin, that's foolishness. 
to forgive the sin, but to leave the sinner under the bondage of that sin is equally foolish. Jesus said, I have come to forget, forgive you, and I have come to set you free. And so many times, we want the forgiveness part, but we struggle with the repentance part, where we have to say, Jesus, take all. You know, on Easter, we talk about Jesus, what a Savior. If you go and study Scripture, Jesus wants to be your Savior. But go and really do a word study of what Jesus wants to be. He wants to be your Savior and your Lord. That is your remission and your repentance. And that's a great reminder for us today. Jesus has provided us both the cleansing from our guilt and the deliverance from the power of sin. That's how we know if someone is saved. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, repentance and forgiveness are riveted together by the eternal purpose of God. You cannot have one without the other. And my encouragement to you is let's get to know the Word of God because as we hear the Word of God, we will then come to believe. And when we come to believe, we will then yield our sin and our lives to Christ. Amen?